0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Thanks to all of you. I want to especially welcome those who are watching us from our regional in South Calgary. And I also want to say hello to our online audience both from Calgary and around the world. A couple of months ago, I started a sermon series called Decisions That Make a Difference. And in this series, we are exploring the power of our decisions. You know, every decision we make in life is a step towards a destination. Our decisions direct the course of our life and they have the power to launch us into the destiny the Lord has in mind for our future. You see this noticeably in the Bible when stories of two people are presented together side by side. One serves as a positive example and the other serves as a negative example. The writers of the Bible story intentionally bring these characters together so we can compare and contrast and see the consequences of their decisions. So far in this series, we have looked at the lives of uh, Abraham and Lot and Jacob and Esau. And we've learned some important lessons in decision-making from these characters. Today, I want to talk to you about uh, making bold decisions that are inspired by our faith. I grew up in a family and culture that uh, discouraged us from taking risks. We were taught to play safe at all times. You know, there were very few risk takers that I personally knew of in my family. The culture taught us that the goal in decision making was to live a predictable life, not take any chances, and stay away from the road less traveled. But as I look back at my life, I was surprised to find my best decisions involved a great amount of risk. They were bold and courageous decisions that were inspired by my faith in God. And as I look at the Bible and Christian history, it is obvious that not much was accomplished for God when God's people chose to play it safe. Gary Hogan, the president of International Justice Ministry, points out that uh, in every decision we make in life, we can choose to be safe or be brave, but we can't be both. And it is only as you step out in faith you will discover that it is safe to be brave because God takes care of us. I want to exemplify this truth through yet another pair in the Bible. One chose to play safe and, you, and took no chances and you don't hear anything more about that person in the Bible. But the other took a great risk when she said yes to God. And her name is now part of the genealogy of Jesus. We'll take a closer look today at the life of Orpah and Ruth and how their decisions made a difference. May I ask us to stand as we read from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 18? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. And Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, Even if I had a husband tonight and then give birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, She stopped urging her. Father, we come before your presence and we recognize your greatness and power. We sang about it, that your name is the name above all names. Now we pray, God, that you will evoke a response in us that will be honoring to you, that you will reveal your greatness to us through your word, that as we Step out in courage. Help us to make bold decisions that will advance your kingdom. Help us to be willing and prepared to take risk. So prepare our heart to receive from you, to hear from you, even as you minister to us by the power of your spirit. For we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. On August 15, 1987, Howard Schultz was faced with the toughest decision of his life, whether or not to buy a small chain of coffee houses with a strange name, Starbucks. Knowing what we know now, this decision should have been a no-brainer. But to Schultz, the $3.8 million price tag felt quite daunting but he made a defining decision to give up his comfortable job with a $75,000 salary to pursue his passion for coffee. Today, Starbucks has over 20,000 stores in over 40 countries around the world with revenues amounting to billions of dollars. How many of you are grateful for Starbucks? (laughs) Some of you need a Starbucks coffee right now to stay awake during the sermon. You know, in in his book, Pour Your Heart Into It, Howard Schultz, the chairman and CEO of Starbucks, reflects on his defining decision. Hear these words. This is my moment, I thought. If I don't seize the opportunity, if I don't step out of my comfort zone and risk it all, if I let too much time tick on, my moment will pass. I knew that if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity, I would replay it in my mind for my whole life, wondering, what if? We all have had our share of what if moments in life when we look back and we wonder, what would have happened if? And more often than not, our what if moments revolve around our decisions. The book of Ruth raises an important what if question. What if Ruth, like Orpah, had chosen to return back to Moab? Ruth would have missed out on God's best for her life. The Bible will not have a book named after her. Ruth wouldn't have been the great-grandmother of King David. And more importantly, her name would have disappeared from the genealogy of Jesus. Now, Even today, the name Ruth is a common female name pointing to the legacy of faith that Ruth has left behind. On the other hand, do you know anyone by name Arpa? (laughs) The only Arpa I know, interestingly, is the famous television host Oprah Winfrey who was given the name Arpa at her birth. But her folks had a hard time pronouncing that name so they changed it to Oprah. I want to give you a quick uh, background of the context before we delve into the decisions of Orpah and Ruth. The events in the book of Ruth took place during the period of the Judges, roughly 3,000 years ago, one of the worst times in Israel's history. When drought and famine came to Bethlehem, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons decided to move to Moab to make a living. The two sons get married to Moabite women. Elimelech died in Moab, leaving Naomi a widow. A few years later, yet another tragedy strikes the family, and the two sons die as well. So Naomi was left all alone in a foreign land to deal with these devastating losses. So at that time, she receives word that the famine in Bethlehem had come to an end. Naomi had no reason to stay back in Moab and she made the decision to return back home. Now her daughters-in-law Orpah and Ruth were also reeling from the tragedy and grieving the death of their husbands. So it is in this context that you find the exchange between Naomi and her daughters-in-law. Look at Ruth chapter 1 verses 8 to 10. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Naomi is being totally unselfish, for she cared for Orpah and Ruth. She envisioned a better future for, their, for her young daughters-in-law. For they had a better prospect of finding another husband in Moab. But both Arpa and Ruth insist that they did not want to leave Naomi, but they wanted to go with her to Judah. Now You have to understand the implications of that. For being a widow hampered your survival in the ancient culture. But being a widow and a foreigner would be a double whammy. So Naomi, you know, on her part, should have been a lawyer. For she came back with some very persuasive arguments to counter Orpah and Ruth. It makes you wonder if Naomi's poor husband, Elimelech, ever had any chance against such strong rhetorical skills of his wife. (laughs) Look at verses 11 to 13, Naomi's arguments. But Naomi said, Written home my daughters why would you come with me am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands Written home my daughters I'm too old to have another husband even if I thought there was still hope for me even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons would you wait until they grew up would you remain unmarried for them no my daughters it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me." What Naomi is referencing here is a provision in the Old Testament laws that says the nearest relative of the dead husband has the responsibility of uh, taking care of the widow by marrying her. It feels really weird to us, but it made perfect sense in that culture. So Naomi is basically saying here, I'm too old to have kids. Even if I do have a baby, miraculously, you'll have to wait a very long time for these sons to grow up and get married to you. So don't waste your life following me. I have no future. It is futile. Now that logic was so reasonable, so rational, so convincing, that Arpa took Naomi's advice. Look at verse 14. At this time they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. You know, Orpah had initially made up her mind to follow Naomi. She had even made preparations for this long journey and set out on the road that would lead them to Judah. Orpah was this close to becoming part of the community of God's people. But after hearing this persuasive argument, Orpah reverted her decision. She was suddenly hit by the realization that there was no future for her in Israel. She would do way better if she were to stay in Moab where she can be with her family and she had a better chance, a better prospect of finding another husband. The text itself does not criticize Arpa's decisions, but it is clear that she missed out on the adventure of following the one true God. Standing at a crossroad, at a major intersection, and confronted with a life-altering decision, Arpa did what most people do. She chose to play it safe she chose to remain in the familiar settings and refused to venture into the unknown. Keith Johnston says in this profound quote, there are people who prefer to say yes, and there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventure they have. Those who say no are rewarded by the safety they attain. Arpa was satisfied with the reward of safety. And you find this sad commentary when Naomi says to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. For that's what that decision meant. Not just going back to her family, not just securing her future, but Arpa went back to her pagan worship. She had tasted the truth about the loving God but did not have the guts to make a total commitment to serving Him. She perished because she played it safe. And what Orpah represents is a life of unrealized potential and missed opportunities. She held back and retreated to a safe and predictable existence. You don't hear anything more about Arpa. Her name disappears. She fades away from the story and we don't even know what happened to her. One thing you know for sure, nothing significant came out of Arpa's life. Now how many people in our world today are guilty of that? I want you to hear me carefully here. I am not advocating taking risk for the sake of risk. Neither do I believe in living recklessly, no. Sometimes the wisest and sensible option may be to play safe. But there are times when our obsession with safety is a direct result of our lack of faith. Our unwillingness to leave the familiar and enter into the unknown. That's what keeps us from God's very best. And sadly, we risk so much more when we choose to play it safe. Let me give you an example. Do you know why we have cul-de-sacs in our neighborhood? Gary Hogan, in his book Just Courage, points out that the cul-de-sac, a feature of suburban housing developments, were designed to address homeowner anxieties about the safety of their kids. So they closed off the street, assuming that would put an end to high-speed cars that threaten children playing on the street. But ironically, studies have revealed that The cul-de-sacs are the most dangerous residential configuration for little children. And that's because studies show children aren't injured by forward-moving traffic nearly as much as by cars backing up, which is exactly what cars do in a cul-de-sac. See here, what was intended as a safety measure caused greater risk and loss. Do you know why churches are declining in our Western world? It is because of this cul-de-sac mentality that has a a distorted view of safety. We think we are safe when we keep ourselves from the world. We want to shield our children from the culture that they grow up in. And we assume safety is within the four walls of our home. God doesn't bless a church that restricts its decision-making to the obvious and the safe. Faith, by its very definition, calls us to take large risks. But why do we need faith if we can do it in our own power? And This is what you see behind every significant move of God. You find few people who are willing to jeopardize their comfort and safety because they believe the God they serve is able to do great and mighty things. And yet, sadly, our culture that is averse to risk and all for comfort has produced attitudes of mediocrity and boredom. Do you know where people seek adventure today? They look for it in the wrong places. For most people, their quest for adventure is gratified by playing video games, going on blind dates, and jumping off a cliff in some exotic location. That's where we showcase our daring exploits. If your Christian life is dry chances are you are not living the spiritual adventure that Jesus has in mind for you see we miss out on spiritual adventures when we are not dialed into God and follow his lead we miss out on spiritual adventures when we say no to things God wants you to say yes God, on his part, does not force anything on us. He gently nudges us. He tugs our heart. So on our part, it will take courage and faith to respond to that tug, respond to that prompting, and walk in the direction that God is calling you to walk. And I'm sure Orpah felt those gentle tugs, calling her to make a full commitment the one true living God. But motivated by fear, Arpa played it safe. And right after that decision, there is not one word about Arpa in the rest of the Bible. She faded into obscurity and returned back to her gods and lived her life with a big what if regret. That's Orpah's life. And the writer brings Ruth into the picture and brings a comparison here. While Orpah bid goodbye, Ruth clung to Naomi. The word for cling is the same word used in Genesis 2.24, that a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Ruth was loyal to Naomi. Ruth was loyal to the God of Israel. And her decision was rewarded by a legacy that will influence generations to come. I want you to look at Ruth's response to Naomi. Verses 15 to 17. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, that is a bold decision that defies human logic and wisdom. Because there was no obvious advantage in following Naomi. She wasn't a wealthy woman. She was drowned in her own sorrows and had become bitter. The last time I checked, it is not very exciting to be around a bitter person. There was every chance Ruth would be despised and rejected in a country that did not treat Gentiles very well. And in spite of all that, Ruth was determined to accompany Naomi into an unknown future with no guarantee of a happy ending. Why? This is what I believe. In the years that Ruth spent with her Jewish husband and family, she had come to hear stories about the God of Israel. And this God was so different, so unique from all other gods that Ruth had believed in. The God of Israel did not give up on his people. He was a faithful God. Something was tugging inside Ruth's heart. And she was drawn to faith in the living God. So now her decision was clear but hard. If she stayed in Moab, where she had all the prospects of a good life, family name, safety, a possible husband, her faith will die. So she chose the place where her faith could be nurtured. She was willing to give up her comfort in order to identify with the community of God's people. So that's what led Ruth, to say to Naomi, I want to follow you wherever you go because I'm loyal to you. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. The word Ruth uses for God in this passage is not just a generic name for God, but she makes reference to God's covenant name, indicating her faith in Yahweh. You know, there is a principle that you see stated over and over in the Bible. When you honor God in your decisions, God promises to honor you. And that's what you see in the rest of the book of Ruth. For what unfolds next is a series of divine appointments. When Naomi and Ruth arrive in Judah, It was the harvesting season. That was no accident. The Old Testament law provided for the poor by commanding harvesters to leave the margins of the land unharvested so the poor can glean from them. Ruth decided to glean from a field. She could have gone to any field, but she arrived in the field of a man named Boaz. That, again, is no accident. Boaz showed kindness to Ruth and ensured her safety and provided for her needs. That was no accident either because God had given Ruth his favor. Later, when Naomi advises Ruth to go to the threshing floor and quietly lie down next to Boaz when he was sleeping and give him the shock of his life, that was no accident. I tell you, the romance stories of the Bible are so good, Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't even come close. <laughs> so pack up all those romance novels and start reading your Bible. you see Boaz, who's so impressed by Ruth's character, agreed to be her kinsman redeemer and marries her, that is no accident. As Ruth and Boaz get married, they're blessed with a baby named Obed, who in turn has a son named Jesse, who in turn has a son named King David, that is no accident. When Ruth, who was a Moabite foreigner, becomes part of the community of God's people. When Ruth, who was a widow, is now happily married. When Ruth, who was poor, is now drafted into the lineage and genealogy of Jesus Christ. All of that is no accident. You see God's providential hand every step of the way. Now, how would you see God's providential hand opening one door after another in your life? You will see it when you refuse to play safe. Step out in faith from the familiar and attempt something daring for His kingdom. Then you will see the serendipitous hand of God upon your life. But you may be sitting there and you wonder, I am just not a risk taker. It's too intimidating. It doesn't suit my personality. You know, this is what has helped me to take whatever risks I have taken in my life by faith. Here's the secret. You will make a conscious choice to risk something when you know something more important is at stake. If you are a parent whose child is dying, and you hear that there is a plant that grows in the Himalayan mountains that could be a remedy for your child's sickness, would you risk your life on this hazardous journey, or would you play safe, saying it's too risky of an endeavour? You know, I don't care what your personality type is. If you're a good parent, you will risk everything to save the life of your child. So we all risk when the stakes are high. So let me tell you here, if the God who made the heavens and the earth Is asking you to do something. He has placed a burden in your heart. He's nudging you towards a new direction. It is because He has something far better in store for you. The stakes are so high, and that's why you need to say yes to it. And what the church desperately needs today is men and women who will follow God fearlessly, faithfully, and who are so captivated by the eternal rewards that we have in Jesus Christ that we are willing to lay the worldly, temporary rewards down on the line for His name's sake. And it is only as you step out in faith you will discover that it is safe to be brave because God takes care of you. I want to close with some practical application for us. What does it mean to take bold decisions based on faith? It doesn't mean we say yes to everything or take reckless risks. But it does mean we are discerning and we are dialed in to God. It doesn't mean that we all have to pack our bags and go to some foreign country as a missionary. God may very well call some of you to do that. But I'm confident this is what it means for the majority of us. Taking a risk for God means opening our eyes to confront the uncomfortable realities that you see right around you. Here are some examples of bold decisions inspired by faith. The biggest risk you and I will ever take is to give full control of your life to Jesus Christ. If you have not made that decision, if you have been sitting on the fence for far too long, join in this adventure of following Jesus. It is the greatest decision you will ever make in life. here are some more bold decisions inspired by faith. When your walk with God has plateaued or is at the most lukewarm, can you make a bold decision to set the alarm 30 minutes earlier to wake up and spend time with God? When you are in a financial strain, Can you still give and support the work of the church because it is a priority to you? You can play it safe or you can trust God with your finances and see His providential hand at work in your life. When God asks you to step out of your comfort zone and meet your neighbor or do a barbecue in your backyard and invite people who do not know God, or to engage in a spiritual conversation with a coworker or a family member. It will take a fearless faith to respond in obedience. God may ask some of you to break off a relationship that is not honoring to him. Do you have the audacity to be countercultural and listen to the promptings of the Spirit? Maybe you've been sitting in the pews for far too long and God is gently nudging you to be involved in a ministry area of the church. Maybe God is calling you to lead a thriving community, small group in your neighborhood that will see your neighborhoods come to faith in Jesus, disciples being produced for the kingdom. We want to offer an opportunity to you that was announced earlier a training program for new leaders to equip you to lead a small group in your home. Some of you young couples, God is challenging you to step out in faith and choose a one-income home so you can give time and attention to your children. It will take great courage and great faith to say yes to that. God is asking some of us to be bold and say yes to the adventure of foster care or adoption. Only a a resolute faith can say yes to it. And more importantly, what we all need is the quality of faithfulness and perseverance to keep doing what the Lord has called you to do, even though it doesn't seem like an adventure or doesn't look flashy or glamorous on the outside. You're doing it because Jesus has called you to do it. It takes a great deal of faith to be that obedient to his call. So this is the challenge I bring to you as I wrap up. We are quick to say no because it is an easy answer. But can you ask that question? Is God asking me to do this? Remember, every adventure begins when you say yes. I don't know of any adventures that have started with the words, I'll pass on this one. Or I'll think about this when my schedule is free. Have you said yes to God and His promptings? Are you going to make bold decisions? Or are you going to play it safe? That's what we learn from Orpah and Ruth. And both these stories have a very different ending. You know, I pray that the Lord will give courage to every one of us here to do what He is calling you to do to attempt things that you've never even imagined is possible, to do things that will come to pass only if God is in it. That's the kind of decisions God is challenging us to make, decisions that will make a difference in light of eternity. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. A room of this size represents great potential for the kingdom. The decisions that you will make as a result of this challenge will have a ripple effect that will just wave across this city that can produce a moment of experiencing the providential hand of God through daring acts of faith. So that is the challenge I want to give to us today. But you just close your eyes in the quietness of this moment and tune your ears towards heaven and just listen to those uh, promptings from the Spirit. What is it that He is asking you to do? It may be uncomfortable. It may seem intimidating. But if He is asking you to do it, He will give you the courage. He will give you the resources and all that you need to make it happen. So let's just maintain a moment of silence to listen to the still small voice of God. Some of you are sensing the tug of the Holy Spirit even right now. And he's asking you to do something you can never do with your own strength. You need his help and enablement. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you. If God is putting a burden in your heart to do something for his kingdom, just raise your hands. I want to pray with you. Raise your hands out high. Let it be a declaration of your faith that you're expressing your confidence in His power that is immeasurably more than we can ask or think or even imagine. Let's pray. Father, our hands are reached out to You because in Your grace You saved us. You saved us from an eternal condemnation. All of us who have put our faith in Jesus do not have that eternal risk the fearful prospect of the judgment of God has been taken away. And we've been freed from that. And that is why we can take temporal risks. We can get out of our comfort zone and attempt something daring for you. Not in our strength, Lord, but through your enablement. So I pray for every hand that is stretched out right now that you will take hold of their hand that you will give them the boldness that they need to persevere in this decision, that this decision will take them in a new direction. And as a result of this commitment, we pray that the kingdom of God will come and advance powerfully in our city. We pray, Father, that you will keep our hearts from fear, from discouragement, and from the work of the enemy, that as we stand strong in faith, May we see your favor. May we see your providence as you open doors and opportunities for us to bring glory and honor to your name. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.